Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Welcome again today to another episode of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast, where we like to talk all things life, lessons therein, and leadership. And we like to do that in the spaces of music, of sports, of comedy, of business, books, pastors, the list goes on and on. And as I say, sometimes I'm on here and I get to bring on guests who have done some incredibly great things. And I don't necessarily know them, but we have a conversation and an interview. And sometimes it's with great friends. And today I get to kill two birds with one stone with both being true. John Beckett, who uh, has, has written a couple great books, Loving Monday, Mastering Monday, ran for years. The R.W. Beckett Corporation uh, is the chairman there now. And many things we could go on and say about John and all he's done. But neat way we got connected years ago by our friend Bill Brown at Cedarville University. And I sadly had to miss a luncheon that John was going to be at after speaking at chapel. And I was bold enough to reach out and say, hey, I didn't get to meet you, but I'd love to. John was gracious and kind and let me do that. John, have you have you regretted saying yes to that at all? Because there's been a lot of follow-up meetings since then. When you think back on saying yes to me, I remember I was at the library making a phone call to you. I somehow remember that well. I don't know if you remember where you were. I was at the library in the lobby. Do you do you regret that at all and think, ooh, I didn't know what I signed up for that how, day? How, how can I regret that, Jim? <laughs> there, there, there aren't too many regrets. I, I have a friend who invited me to go skiing when all of our kids were young. And, and uh, a follow-up to that, we started skiing in Colorado. And a couple homes later and multi big bucks on on uh, ski tickets that one i regret <laughs> that was that was an invitation that took a very different direction wow. but now this is great but could, i mean could you have imagined that day when we talked that here we are years and years decades plus later we're still connected and i'm still bringing people to you once a year i mean would you have ever imagined that that's where that one time lunch would go to not a one time lunch well, I, I think it's just been a terrific experience from my standpoint. These are events that we just, we really enjoy the people that you bring. And I think you make a lot out of the long car ride from mm -hmm. Springfield to Elyria, Ohio, back and forth. And uh, so I think that's kind of a win-win. But no, we've been very grateful for the opportunity to meet some of your friends. It's amazing when I go back and I did it last night again, just to get ready for this. I either a look at all the pictures over the years we've taken with you and seeing all the people that have went and some of those guys aren't as good a shape anymore or their hair's less or their hair's lighter, but also just the, the name. I have to update it obviously every year of who's been and who's been when. And it's like, wow, that's a lot of guys. I think it's, I wanted to say 40 or 50, but I knew it was safe to say 35 plus, but the guys that have been there over the years. So let's get into your testimony. The I usually say the three minute version. With you, we probably need to go with a five minute version just to make sure people understand why we're doing what we do with you every year. 
Well, as you know, Jeff, I'm a business guy, and I I don't necessarily want that to be the sole identity, but it's where I've staked my ground. Uh, in fact, in December, I will have been at our company for 60 years. So that's kind of cool. But my, my, my testimony spiritually uh, goes back before that involvement. I was uh, a student at MIT, and to my parents' amazement, attended church there, an Episcopal church. And it was good. There were some nice young ladies that I got to meet there, so that made it fun. But uh, it wasn't until I met my wife, Wendy, and her family that I encountered a family that was qualified by <laughs> two measures for me. One was that they had a great relationship with the Lord, and the second was that they knew how to have fun. And I don't know what it was. Somehow those two hadn't connected my earlier church experiences. And so it opened up a new vista, and it made me more hungry to know what this matter of a relationship with the Lord was. And so while we engineers can, can leave long heel marks across the stage of life, and so things had to be apparent and logical, and it wasn't until I encountered some business problems namely the sudden death of my dad, followed mm. a few months later by a fire, that I really kind of came to the end of myself and realized I wasn't quite as <laughs> quite as capable as I thought I was. And I turned to the Lord in, in a fresh way. That was, that was really a, a pivotal time in my life. And it, it re reactivated an old dilemma of the question of how best you serve the Lord. And uh, I didn't have any context for doing that in the marketplace. And so I really wrestled with that. Okay, now that I've made a, a commitment to, to be a follower of Jesus, uh, you know, which mission field do I go into? And uh, I, I was puzzled by that because I felt I was hardwired for, for business. And um, in, in one of those rare times that I think I, I, I heard audibly from the Lord, he said, John, I've called you to business. You know, just do it with all your heart. Mm -hmm. It was about that simple. And I, the, the idea of connecting call and business uh, at first didn't make any sense to me. But I realized that that could be a very legitimate way to, to, to serve the Lord as well as other things. So in a nutshell, uh, that's what brought me to a place of, of uh, a faith, but also seeing that that could be carried out in the marketplace. A key part of that that we don't want to just breeze over is your your dad passing away and the fire, which you go into in great detail and loving Monday. What would John Beckett now say to John Beckett then? Because you obviously were not at the capacity of wisdom, of experience, of seasoning, of trust in the Lord that you were obviously that many years ago. What would you say to that John Beckett then about that season of a few months stretch where two significant moments took place in your life? Well, I think I would I would say to the, the John Beckett then that you don't necessarily have to have everything figured out. There are mysteries in life. There are mysteries in faith. And uh, don't be afraid to trust the Lord when you don't have all the pieces lined up like ducks in a row. That was not intuitive for me. Um, it wasn't kind of the way I was wired and the way I thought. But um, some call it a leap of faith, but that step into the unknown, just trusting God for whatever, and that could include vocation and everything else, uh, that, that, that was a huge step for me. 
so the death of my dad, which uh, he was actually driving to, to, to work, it was that sudden. He was 67. I was 26. And uh, it rocked my world because I, I had envisioned working with him for at least another decade. And then the fire later that year just about destroyed our entire facility. In the midst of that, I got a deeper sense of purpose for our being in business. And, and I just kind of came to the conclusion that this was something that was, was, a, was a commitment. It was uh, something that I could give my whole heart to and, uh, and, and find a way to bring faith into work uh, that I couldn't have even imagined months earlier. Put a label or a title on, so there'd be kind of three seasons of you pre being in charge of Beckett when your dad's there to you doing it for a long time to now Kevin. How would you label those three different aspects of what, what's the, what's the DNA or what's the, what's the label you would put on Beckett throughout those three seasons of life? Well, my dad, uh, who was, by the way, a veteran of the first war with the Canadian army, (laughs) It was a, a very disciplined person and a good engineer. I think that both in the company and in me personally, he set a high standard as far as values and expectations. And so the culture of the company, while not ostensibly Christian, was laid on a firm foundation of a high sense of purpose and values. Once I came into my role, I wanted our business to be as fully an expression of uh, a a Christian workplace, biblically-based workplace, as as I knew, and yet have it be totally sound, functional, productive as a business organization. And so part of my journey was to, to know how to blend these two, how to take biblical truth and in a way almost have our company be a laboratory as to how that would be played out in the marketplace. We transitioned the company to our oldest son, Kevin. He he actually became our CEO uh, just 20 years ago this month. And that was very intentional. I was in my mid-60s at the time, and uh, he was ready for it. He had uh, really equipped himself well, and he moved into that role. That gave me the opportunity to move into a different role with the company. Uh, I had my own pity party about not being the CEO anymore, but I, I, I just, I realized that I could serve. I'm, as you point out, I was the chairman of the organization, but I could be a counselor, advisor, be available, but without getting into the gears and, and really allow the next generation to provide leadership. So he, and he's done a great job. Uh, take, we, we were 12 employees when I joined my dad. We're 1,200 now in several locations around the world. And Kevin has been just super in terms of uh, seizing opportunities, building the business. So it's just really been a delight to watch him. And, and also our second son, Jonathan, who's running one of our companies, and our son-in-law, Morrison, who's running another one of our companies. So we have three family members. This wasn't part of a grand design. Mm-hmm. We have three family members who are just terrific leaders and leading very successful businesses. So one of the things I love talking about on here, especially with pastors, but it's, it's fun to do it a little bit differently with 
the world of business is transitioning and how difficult that is. And we've had multiple conversations with the Rue family, with Landon Wade about working with family and all that kind of good stuff. And it's clearly not easy. And one of the things I hear time and time again, especially in church world, is a person can't really move to the next thing until they really get excited about the next thing. They have to see it, not just like, I'm leaving this and what's next. That won't encourage them to leave and leave well. It's like they have to get excited about what's next. So talk a little bit about what next has been for you beyond Beckett. What have you been doing and what's the season? Yeah, I really subscribe to that concept. Uh, and, and the way I would put it is that we can't see that we're just going away from something. We have to be going towards something. It's really the same thing that you're saying, Jeff. And I, I, I think fortunately for myself, I developed a number of things. You could say they were alongside the business or maybe an expression of the business, but things that I could focus on post being the CEO. And I've been able to do that. I've been able to do additional writing, speaking. I've been active in a number of board positions with significant organizations. And more recently, I've been pretty intentional about working with some younger emerging leaders in our companies to help build leadership skills in them. So this is this has been a great way to sow into the next generation. I feel that out of things that I learned about establishing a culture in an organization that I've been able to help sustain that because every time you bring new people in or you make an acquisition or expand, you have to wrestle to make sure that that DNA doesn't get lost or diluted. And so that's another area I've been able to sow into, taking groups of employees, talking about our core values, just what they mean. And so these have been ways that I've been able to focus that have been, in, in some cases, company related, sometimes not, but they've been very fulfilling and, and, and demanding, frankly. I've had a very full schedule. Well, under, yes, that can't be emphasized enough. So with the gathering, we talk about connecting men to men and men to God. We talk about doing that at home, workplace, church, community. And no one can spend time with you and not realize how much you value that and see the importance of that in the workplace, in the marketplace, at your career, in your job. And what would it be like? I think sometimes we get so focused in a, in a good way, mostly on our home life. We get focused as followers of Jesus, what we do in the church. Maybe it blends off into the community, but sometimes I think we can almost think there's a separation with the workplace. You know, Billy Graham said sometime before he died, a number of years beforehand, that the next great move, act, wave of God was going to be in the marketplace. Why is that so important? And you've clearly invested there. What would we be missing if we said we're going to do it in all these other fields, but not at work? Yeah, well, it's it, it's a great topic, and I think the way you've described it is an appropriate description for where many believers are today. They have bifurcated their lives into that which they view as being sacred and that which they view as being mm -hmm. secular. That concept, by the way, has some pretty deep roots that are not Christian. <laughs> they're they're not Hebraic. They actually are tied back into some Greek philosophy where they had this whole concept of noble and not noble and worthy and not worthy. And work always got stuck in mm. that lower sphere of being less noble. And so that idea has saturated down into our culture today where we have this distinction between sacred and secular. So I, I think the starting point to your question, Jeff, is to realize that uh, all, all life 
it can be uh, holy before the Lord. Amen. And uh, the notion that we carve work out of that and treat it differently is absurd, really, when you think about it. And, and it's even more absurd when you see how untypical it is of how the scripture presents work. Uh, I mean, Jesus was a workman himself. He drew from the workplace, the marketplace for his closest followers. And uh, if you track the lives of many of the greats throughout scriptures, you just pick them, you know, Daniel, Joseph, uh, David, they all had very significant components of their life in what we would call the marketplace. And uh, it it didn't get set aside. It, it integrated into how they conducted themselves. And so the business isn't a church, but it's where life gets lived. Mm-hmm. And if we kind of elevate our thinking to the concept of the kingdom of God, which is, of course, very foundational in, in New Testament teaching, the workplace can be as much the kingdom of God as, as any other enterprise. 100%. And you have to start l- looking at it through a different lens. Yeah. And I just love how you've always done that. I mean, it's very clear. We're going to get to in just a minute, some of the comments people have made about you that I wanted to bring into this, but talk about first, cause it's so pivotal to your story and I'll let you explain it without me giving a lot of details, but how did Nightline and Loving Monday change or alter your life and your platform? Share about Loving Monday a little bit. And obviously the Nightline story is pretty significant. Yeah. Uh, just one little edit here. It was, uh, World News Tonight with Peter Jennings. It was ABC News versus Nightline. But uh, Thank you for setting was... me straight. I always need to set straight, so that was a good edit there. <laughs> well, I, I get these programs confused too, but this was out of the blue. This was the news network contacting us because we had taken a pretty strong stand against an initiative by the EEOC that would have greatly reduced the freedom that we have in the workplace to express our faith. So we ended up doing a program with World News Tonight with Peter Jennings. It it was a four-minute piece that aired in the mid-90s. And the thing that was so remarkable about that is that the response by this national audience, some estimated 12 million people, was the largest positive coming into the network of anything in the history of the evening news. People said, you know, what is this? Is it possible to have a workplace that where people are valued and honored and and not treated as digits? And so that really awakened me to the degree of hunger nationally on this question of of integrating faith and work. And so uh, out of that, I got way out of my comfort zone and, and, and wrote the book called Loving Monday, not knowing where that would go or, or what impact it might have. Well, it's gone into 20 different languages, mm, and so it's, um, it's really been kind of a global handbook in many ways for people who want to venture into this area of, of uh, bringing their faith and their work together. So it's been it's been very pivotal in my life, and um, I, I've counted it a great privilege, frankly, to be able to travel to many of the countries where this book has rolled out in language editions and meet with business people. I mean, I'm talking about the heart of Russia and mm. <laughs> over in Vladivostok and you know Seoul, Korea, and countries in Africa and countries in Europe. It's just it's been an amazing thing to see how. And in some ways, at the front edge of of this more recent wave, that book has been uh, has been a way to help people. Yeah, 
It's unbelievable. I mean, we've had, gosh, in Springfield and in the Miami Valley, I bet we've had 50 people at least read that book. And I know it's been a game changer. And we'll get a little bit to other content that's had an impact on our guys. But here, here are some comments people made when I reached out to some of the guys that have been before. I reached out to a couple handfuls and then they got back to me. And one guy said, John Beckett knows every one of his employees' names. He addresses each employee when we're walking around. It's very important to him. He's a humble man. Another guy said his words and actions. Yeah, I just got to qualify that a bit because some of that's a bit past tense. I, I could do it with a couple hundred people. I can't do it with 1,200 around the world. Well, okay. I, I still make an effort at, uh, I think people's names are important. And and uh, so, yeah. But in North Ridgeville and you're in Elyria, you're, you're getting it done at that facility for sure. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But another guy said his words and actions so inspired me. I only wish I'd met him 50 years ago at the beginning of my professional career. You're going to know who these next two are. Thankful for John, who introduced me to you. This is another John, who introduced me to you, being me, who introduced me to Mr. Beckett. He always calls you Mr. B. He said, who helped guide me to the one true king. A booklet, which is, uh, you gave this guy a booklet that ended up having him surrender his life to Jesus. He said, he's soft-spoken, articulate, passionate, genuine, generous, and loving, all defined Mr. B., May 20th, I surrendered myself to Christ Jesus and haven't looked back. There's a personal relationship present that is only getting stronger every day. There's a profound truth in his story coming home. I share it with others often. Its impact is life-changing. Please give him my well wishes. And lastly, my good friend Landon said, as you are well aware, I have a deep respect and admiration for Mr. Beckett. I believe he was brought into my life not at all by accident at that time, and he had a big impact on relatively brief times we spent together. I appreciate his humility and willingness to serve. I know there are a few very pivotal decisions I've made in my life that I leaned on his advice for, and I'm truly thankful I did. I mean, again, this is mostly, almost exclusively one-shot interactions. Now, Landon, it's been more. Craig and you followed up, but... I said to you in, in an email, how many people look at things like this and say, I don't have time. It's effort. It's a one-off. I don't need to do it. And you've not been that way. When you hear those kind of things, what does that do for your heart? Well, of course, it's very it's very humbling. And, and, and when you do hear this, you just say, well, that's the grace of God. It's sort of like when our kids grow up and they stay stay true to their values and so forth with all the temptations you say well that that there's no other explanation you know that maybe we did what we could but that's the grace of god and when there's an impact on people's lives like you've described terribly heartwarming of course but this is the holy spirit at work mm-hmm. and i just think of maybe the other side of this jeff when i've been with people who have really influenced me uh, often it's pretty brief encounters but you go back to those and you just say Boy, that that was pivotal. There was something that came out of that that helped shape who I am today. So I think we we both receive and we give. But I'm just delighted that uh, those brief times with uh, with the folks you brought up have been so fruitful. See, I think two things I would say. One of the things I've said to people often about you, and I think I've told you this, that when I've been with you, whatever the context is, a lot of that's been in person, email, this interview, whatever it would be. I'm like, I feel like I've just spent time with Jesus. Second thing I would say to that is, especially when you see it play out in The Chosen, watching Jesus from point A to point Z, he's clearly aware of what's going on and he's making a difference and having touch points 
wherever he goes. And back to Gary's words about you in in the shop, knowing who people are, that really seems to be something you've been intentional with. I mean, do you affirm what I'm saying there as far as start of the day, end of the day, here's how I'm going about my day. I'm just intentional as I go about it every step along the way. Yeah, one of my great frustrations is going through a plant with a host where they point out the machinery, the equipment, the processes, but ignore the people. Mm. And I just, I just, <laughs> I, 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 that frustrates me because we're looking at the most incredible creation in that person who's running a punch press. And yet we look at the punch press and not the person. So I think I've probably maybe I don't I don't think you can go overboard on this, but I've really tried to to focus on the people aspect of it and to realize that every single individual, number one, created in the image and likeness of God. I mean, if that's all the further we go, you know, we have a huge responsibility to to view that person with great respect. But beyond that, people all have life stories that they're working through just like you like me maybe kids or finances or health or other things and if we can kind of get below the surface a bit and start connecting with people at more of a heart level there's some amazing stories that we can learn and also maybe be of help there along the way so i think putting people first we we talk about that but it really is central i think to any kind of a entity that's going to live and breathe and represent the kingdom kingdom of god so you understand well one of the things i love there's a video clip that's made the rounds over the years of uh, chick-fil-a and it shows people walking around going up to the counter and ordering and it has these little pop-up videos of what's going on in that person's world as they're going from the counter back to their seat and you just see all the people in the restaurant with what's going on one of the goals i have when i'm with you every time is to learn something new like you're going to share some stories that I've heard before because I've been with you so often. But when before we got on air, we talked that you talked about being at Chick-fil-A's headquarters on 9-11. I paused because I said I want to hear more about that. Let, let people hear about 9-11, you at Chick-fil-A's headquarters, and what ensued. Well, we were there because I was on the board of Henry Blackaby Ministries in, there in Atlanta, and they were gracious enough to uh, be able to have our meetings at Chick-fil-A. Well, a note was passed to our chairman uh, early on that morning of 9-11. And then another note uh, a few minutes later, a second tower has been hit. And so one of the first things I experienced there was how the founder, Troy Cathy, would mobilize his people in a situation like that. And and he wasn't the only one head of PepsiCo got everybody together at their uh, headquarters and purchased New York. But Truett Cathy said, "We're going to we're going to commit this whole thing to the Lord." And so, within probably a half hour of the second tower being hit, everybody in that headquarters was in one place. And he spoke. Dr. Blackaby spoke. We prayed together, and then we realized we we certainly weren't going to have the remainder of our board meeting. Chick Fil A gave me one of their company cars because nobody was moving at that point flights everything and i i drove it drove it home from from atlanta and and so it was kind of an up close experience with a corporation that is just markedly different 
than uh, than than most other businesses. And I think a, a tremendous example of trying to practically integrate faith and work. And it's in the little things. It's uh, it's in how they treat people. It's how they respond to crises. Their whole concept of generosity and trust. I mean, it was all evident in that few hours incident. <laughs> You know, it's interesting about you saying it. So I told you I was at Windshape last week, their kind of ministry arm of retreats and whatever in Rome, Georgia. And even two little things they did that I thought was really interesting was they had a cafe that was open. And, you know, for ministry leaders like me who get to go with our spouse, they charge nickels on the dollar of what you should be paying. And the cafe is open 8.45 a.m. to 10 p.m. You don't pay for anything. You can go in there and get 10 caramel macchiatos, and you're paying nothing. And then when we left, we left right before lunchtime, and we could have been on our way, and they fed us well, but they gave us a nice box lunch with a chicken salad sandwich and pasta salad and fruit and loaded it up. And I'm just like, they do do the little things very well, to say the least. So let me ask you this, John. We talked about the workplace, where you're intentional about it. Tell us some ministry stories. I've heard some before, people coming to Christ, people being spoken to and encouraged in community, all the different things that could happen being about the kingdom of God that have taken place over the years that you've seen at Beckett through you, Kevin, whoever, different people's approach to seeing that as a ministry. Give us a couple stories. Yeah, we had uh, a young lady who was in a time of real distress, the plant superintendent came to me and said, I just want to share with you that she's told me she needs time off to have an abortion. And I can't tell you her name for obvious reasons, sure. but I just wanted to let you know and that we could pray about this. That night, uh, in, a, in the middle of the night, I, I think the Lord showed me who this person was. And I went in the next morning and I said to our plant superintendent, is that this person will call her Megan. And he said, yeah, he was stunned. Out of our hundreds of employees, he said, yeah, that, that's who it is. And I said, well, let's bring her in. And I told her what happened. And I, I said, the message that I want to convey is that the Lord is 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 watching over this whole situation. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I just want you to know that the, the, the Lord is engaged in this. Well, the long story short is that she came in the next day and her, she was just smiles ear to ear and said, I'm keeping my baby. Wow. And on that same occasion, I just said, Megan, you know, with the Lord who loves you so much, uh, would you not want to become his and follow? Yes, I would. And so she prayed a prayer of redemption. So we went within a couple of days from her uh, scheduling an abortion to becoming a believer having her baby. And it was it was just one of those miracles. You know, as I read the New Testament, Jeff, I just see how much happened along the way. Mm -hmm. I mean, most of these things weren't planned. The Lord knew, but uh, things happened along the way. And, and, and Jesus just somehow managed to be in the right place at the right time to, uh, to, to help people. So we've had, uh, that was certainly one of the more dramatic stories. We've had others who have Turn to the Lord. Usually, it's it's in the midst of some kind of of challenge or crisis, uh, and that that's caused me to temper a little bit my thinking about troubles that people are going through. Instead of just trying to fix the trouble, you just say, "Well, you know what 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 else is happening here?" Because this can be the very means by which somebody is having to assess things in ways they didn't before. I think for many, the pandemic that we've just been through was that they just everything gets turned upside down. And uh, while it's uncomfortable, that can be a healthy thing. And so it provides opportunities to 
look at things uh, differently, and that that's often looking at things through, through a spiritual lens. Yeah. I love, uh, as, as long as you've lived life and had the experiences you've had, you've had moments where you've said, I'm sure, what am I doing here? How am I getting experience this? You've met presidents. You got to go to Billy Graham's funeral. I want you to hit on that. Talk about maybe a few moments in your life where you've been like, wow, I get to be a part of this. <laughs> well, yeah, you you mentioned presidents, heads of state, and I, I think there are two that come to mind that definitely qualify for, wow, what am I doing here? And one was to meet with, with Mrs. Thatcher when she was the prime minister of England. It was at number 10 Downing Street. I, I remember every single segment of what happened in that uh, hour and a half long interaction. It was it was remarkable. And and the takeaways that came out of that regarding who she was as a person and, and her character. In a similar way, totally separately, but I, I did have a few opportunities to be with Mr. Reagan when he was the president. And uh, <laughs> I recall, and and really some life lessons that, that come out of that, including the importance of learning people's names. I was in one meeting with about 12 people, 15 people. When he walked into the room to join us, he walked around the room and and he had been briefed, of course, but he, he addressed everybody by name. Mm. And and so here's the president of the United States saying, Mr. Beckett, we're glad you're with us today. I'll tell you one little story. It wasn't with him, but it, it drove home the significance of who he was from a character standpoint. I was at the end of a tour through the White House and ahead of the other people in the group. And there was a picture of the president uh, up on the wall. And there was a, a Secret Service agent standing there who was the only other person in the room. And I don't know why I did this, Jeff, but I just I looked at the portrait and I looked at the the agent and I said, what do you think of this guy? <laughs> then I, what am I doing? Well, he shot back immediately. We love him. Mm. Oh, now that prompted another question, right? Why do you love him? He said he's always the same. Uh, he said you could be with him at two o'clock in the morning on Air mm. Force One. Wow. And he's interested in you, your kids, your family. Uh, we just love him. And so, you know, from the trenches, uh, that to me was a tremendous insight into who he was as a person and how he interacted with the folks around him. Just hit briefly on the Billy Graham thing, because I was amazed by that story that you got invited. I think it was like 48 hours before 24 and you turned around and made it to Billy Graham's funeral. Yeah, I hadn't uh, expected that that would that would occur. But when the invitation came, I just said, I've got to drop everything and do it. By the way. That's not always something I've done with grace. I can be so focused on my schedule that something comes up and I say, oh, I just don't have time for it. Well, I've got to be more careful about that because in this case, I did have the opportunity to attend the, the memorial service of this great man held in a tent in Charlotte on a chilly day, but it was so honoring. It was so fitting to see all the family there and some of his closest associates and to have the privilege of, um, of of having that memorable moment in the life of one of the great men of the last hundred years. So, yeah, I, I, I think the concept of being available is an important mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. We have to realize that we may have our agenda, but God has his. And just to kind of be attentive to, to what's going on and, and these opportunities come up, you know, think twice before we say, I'm too busy. Yeah. If Wendy or those closest to you were to describe you in one word, 
What one word do they say best describes you, John? <laughs> That's a tricky one. Sure. I don't know. I'm not, yeah. do, I'm not doing all softballs. <laughs> yeah, I think it's easier when other people answer that question, but I have heard people provide feedback. A, a couple of words that I've heard people use maybe more than others. One is the word intentional. And I don't know that's what whether it's good or bad, but very good. I, I think it's reflecting the fact that I try to think pretty systematically about what I'm doing and the decisions I'm making rather than just being totally impulsive or off the cuff. And another, which frankly, I don't attribute to myself that much, but is is used from time to time is 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 carrying a certain capacity of wisdom. Mm -hmm. Well, that prompted me one time to study that word uh, more deeply in the scriptures. And my takeaway from it was that if, if we demonstrate that quality, pause there because it comes from God, <laughs> all wisdom it derives from God. And if we're in the right place at the right time and we're hearing him and we're uh, reflecting his intentions, then uh, yeah, we can we can speak into situations in ways that uh, will uh, maybe alter the course, but they appear to be wise. But that that's there's no natural attribution on that. I think it's it's just it's God. Yeah. I would agree with both those words, intentional and wise. John, here's one for you. What's the toughest decision you've ever had to make? Well, a tough decision for me was to leave our company for a period of time to found a nonprofit organization built around prayer. And we didn't have a lot to come and go on as a family at that time, but it was it was early in the formation of Intercessors for America. By the way, just last week in Washington, we celebrated 50 years wow. of that organization. But there was a stretch when I just said, if I'm going to do this, I've got to be all in with it. And so I took a partial leave from our company and I focused on trying to build a national organization that would, would focus on prayer for our nation and, and our government. So tough in one sense, because it was a big adjustment but rewarding in another because it enabled this organization to really get a good foundation. But there have been many others. I, you know, practically speaking, and, and I suspect you and others listening have encountered this too, the, the most difficult aspect of being in business, I think, is terminating people, often mm -hmm. good people, people who just for one reason or another aren't the right fit in the organization. And, and if your premise is that you love people, you want to sow into people, you want to help people be successful, uh, you carry a positive attitude toward people, separating from them is really painful. It's, it's uh, something that I don't know how well I've done it, but it's, it's always, it's always uh, filled with uh, a lot of emotion for me. Sure. John Essig, our friend who married me and my wife, he had three questions for you, and two of them kind of combined into one. He said, what is your greatest regret and or what one thing would you do differently? And I love this question. He said, John, what's one thing you would do over and over again? Wow. Um, well, bless John Essek. He's, he's come up with better questions than I come up with. Better questions on. than me. That's what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, um, 
there there were actually several questions in that as you implied um was one of them things that you would do over and over in other words you continue to do it yeah you would continue mm-hmm. to do those same thing over and over and over and you keep doing it yeah I, um i hope this this sounds appropriate but to me reading the scriptures every day uh it's both a discipline but it, it's you know way early on it became a delight and if i just had to take one thing that i regard as being foundational to do on a regular basis it would be to spend some time in the scriptures on a daily basis i just see that as being the equivalent of food and air in terms of the things that we need to uh, to feed our our souls and our lives and uh, it's a practice i've been following do the math here probably close to 50 years now it's just been so significant now the next part of this was what things regret regret. or one thing you would do differently yeah um i like yourself jeff i i have a passion to see people come to the lord because if we're realistic about it so many in our world today are are walking in darkness maybe maybe don't know it but they're walking in darkness i don't regard myself as being a, a natural evangelist but i have a heart to see people come into a vital relationship with the Lord. And so I've tried to to do some things to help enable that to happen. But it's just, uh, um, you just question, have I done enough? Is there more that I could do? Have I been too cautious about verbally sharing the Lord with people? And so that would be the area of, of question for me realizing that you know these are life or death issues for people and i've been privileged to come to know the lord myself uh, to to be absolutely convinced that walking faithfully before the lord is is the most important thing that we can do as a lifestyle but i want that to be something that other people experience so that would be in the regret category and maybe lord gives time i'll come up with still additional strategies to try to to reach out to people but that's uh you know that that that's ultimately i think one of the most important things that any of us can do in our lives well i love that i have a very very small glimpse into your life and fruit and i've seen a lot so i'm only seeing that little bit of a window into what you've done and i know it's way greater than that so much encouragement there in the closing couple minutes two questions i want to throw out attack them how you want as the patriarch of the Beckett family at this point, what have you done right from a family sense? And then lastly, what do you think God is most trying to form in you in 2023? As far as the first, everybody who's in a business setting knows the tension between family and work. And with great help from my wife, Wendy, I think that sewing into our kids when they were small has been one of the most important and most rewarding. We we have six children. We we have 18 grandchildren now. And every one of them is on a good path spiritually. And I, I just am filled with gratitude for that. And 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 I go back to some of the 
trade-offs that I made along the way, spending time with our kids, being available to them, hearing their hearts. And it didn't mean that I wasn't busy traveling and all the other demands, but um, I think that we did so into them in a way that uh, has enabled them to, to bear good fruit. And your other was was current focus. <laughs> yeah, what's what's God trying to shape and form in you in this season of life right now, 2023, heading to a new year? Well, I, I alluded earlier to the delight I take in trying to help others, especially in the leadership sector. Uh, I, I, I'd see our entire nation, including the corporate world, lacking for good leadership. And so if I can influence even our own grandchildren, but also some of the emerging leaders in our companies, tremendously rewarding to sow into them and 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 help them become people who will be able to shape the future. So it's that regenerative aspect, I think, of sowing into other people that I I hope I can do the rest of my days. And I think part of that is you're you're clearly still in a posture of learning yourself and growing and letting Holy Spirit do the work in you. Fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah, that's where it begins. Yeah, it, we we can't we can't uh, <laughs> sell out of an empty <laughs> cart, right? We yeah. we have to have uh, we have to, to. It's it's the overflow that really affects people's lives. Give me a last thought on this. Just hit this question. Just hit me as you were talking there. What is a summation you would give about the Trinity? I just heard a great Eugene Peterson quote about the Trinity, but when you think Trinity, who God is, who Jesus is, Holy Spirit, what would you say to that? Well, first of all, they're one. Secondly, they're unique in their role. And third, I would say that our culture has greatly underestimated the importance of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. There's a general awareness and, and acceptance of God in our culture. A lesser number have really embraced the person that Jesus was and is. But I'm amazed at how we can overlook the work of the Holy Spirit. And and they're not they're not separate. They are separate, but they're one part of the same Godhead. Mm -hmm. And so allowing the Holy Spirit to have reign in our lives with all the promises that come through the scriptures of his role, I think is really important. Amen. John, 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 thank you. Thank you. Thank you for time with me many times over. Thank you for this. We've, we've been going after this for a while. I, I have a space and, you know, I don't try to rush into it with you, but I know at some point it would happen. And, uh, man, I, I just can't say enough. I, I, I try to be regular and telling God and the people God puts around me, how grateful I am to him for them. And, You've invested so much more than you realize in me, and in the gathering today of the Miami Valley looks better, different, more impactful because of you. So you and Wendy and Team Beckett have a great holiday season, to say the least. Thank you. Well, th thanks for all that you mean to the body and, and to me personally, Jeff. I've really come to admire you and your devotion to help other people grow and learn. And uh, you have a very unique, creative way of going about doing it, but you're constantly looking for opportunities and connections. And so I'm, I'm just riding on your coattails here. Thanks, John. Blessings to you. Bye. 
Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at GatheringMiamiValley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.